Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini-series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI, with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Bengals fans, you are listening to another episode of the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast, the number one Bengals fan podcast out there, part of SB Nation's Cincy Jungle podcast channel, one of a handful of great Bengals podcasts out there for all of you to digest and listen to. I am Anthony Cazenza. I'm joined by my co-host, John Sheeran. John, unfortunately, my friend, we are not talking about a Bengals victory uh the Cincinnati Bengals kind of um did what the Cincinnati Bengals do in a way we'll talk about that but what I mean by that is grabbing defeat in the jaws of victory in in some ways how are you feeling about uh about the team after week one my friend oh you know I'm just trying to push off this week and go to the next one (laughs) well we can't just put we can't just push off we got to talk about it a little bit so uh but by the way did anybody catch what we're doing there I mean I don't there was just Puns galore right there. Hopefully they caught it. I think we're pretty funny, John, but maybe that's just me. We're going to talk about week one. We're going to we're going to do it in a little different format than normally just kind of breaking down a game. What we're going to do is we're going to do a little encouraged, discouraged. We're going to say, you know, give you a facet about the game. Were you encouraged or discouraged? Why? So we'll talk about that. John's already leaving, so uh, apparently he doesn't like that segment idea, but that's okay. We'll get We'll get him back. We'll reel him back in. And uh, so we'll go over week one and do it that way. We've got a soundbite of the week, an interesting one. It's one that I'm going to, I guess, stroke my ego with uh, for this week. We'll do uh, a little bit of a preview of the Cleveland Browns game, update you on the injury report and everything going into Thursday night football. And then, of course, we will get out of here with a mic drop and or call of our shot, uh, which we started last week. Want to do a little reminder You can get this show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Megaphone, of course, YouTube, how many of you are watching live, or the Cincy Jungle Facebook page. There is a subscribe button right under John's left shoulder there if you're watching on YouTube. So go ahead and click that, subscribe. Leave us a rating on the Cincy Jungle audio uh, channel as well. We've got a great slate of, of programs. We're okay, but the others, Orange is the New Black by Ace and Zim. And Matt Minnick's Chalk Talk are really killing it. By the way, John, did you happen to listen to Ace and Zim's interview with AJ Green uh, last night? I, I did. And there was some questionable audio moments in that, but that was a fantastic <laughs> interview. Um, definitely check it. Like, th- those two are so, such great interviews. They have such great chemistry. And they, this, this isn't the first time they've interviewed a player. But I don't know, man. Like, they had the connection. So, that, you know, if there's a player that you want it to be – that you want to see interviewed on that channel, I would definitely hit those guys up and see what they can do because they can, they can run some pretty quality guests. And that, that green interview was a lot of fun to listen to. 
Yeah, if there's one thing about the COVID pandemic this year is it has allowed a lot of access for this show and other great podcasts out there to, to get front row access to a lot of great players, Bengals players, past and present. So um, really great interview with AJ Green by those guys. So pat on the back to you, Ace and Zim. Good show there. And then, of course, we've got a new video up on our YouTube channel from Matt Minnick. Uh, talking about some offensive line issues. So get all of those shows and get our show, how I mentioned. We appreciate the support. John, let's talk about the Bengals' 16-13 to loss to the Chargers, as if we haven't talked about it enough. Let's talk about it some more. They, you know, we'll get to the encourage, discourage. I guess give us a macro view, just a, a look at – what you what you kind of took away from that loss, especially the way it transpired? It looked like a team that has a bad offensive line, has a lot of new special teams pieces, and has a rookie quarterback playing for the first time in 10 months, nine months. No preseason with very few contact uh, practices. Uh, these guys need to get synced. Like Joe Burrow needs experience. He needs reps. And there's value in, in what he did on Sunday, but it was it was ugly for the most part. I mean, he summed it up pretty damn well. He played bad for three and a half quarters and had a great last you know three minutes, a little three minute drill after an interception that was completely uncharacteristic of what he was at LSU. But the whole thing was like, oh, he's not going to make the same mistake again. Oh, he's ex- extremely careful with the ball, but he's also very precise. He's a great decision maker. He's a great innovator out of the pocket. These things are going to happen to a guy who's never played in the NFL before. He like he's never. Even in the SEC, he never played against a defensive line that had a guy like Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa coming off both edges at the same time for 60 snaps. Like, this is this is new. Like, this is how it goes for rookie quarterbacks. So anyone expecting Burrow to light up the Chargers defense that had two amazing quarterbacks to go with those two edge rushers, throw for like 400 yards and four touchdowns, even to a stacked receiving core, was, was getting ahead of themselves. It's too, it's, it's too high expectations, even for a guy like Burrow, who had such a fantastic last season in college, and has all these translatable traits since the NFL. It's going to take time. And it's going to take time for the offensive line, too. I don't know how much time, more time you can give Bobby Hart at this point because he just is who he is. I don't know how long that leash is, but I hope it's not too long. But yeah, like I, I know that Matt said that offensive line and special, special teams were the two units that he thought were going to take the most time to mesh into this NFL without a preseason. And the first month or so is going to be really scrappy with those two units. Those were the two worst units. For this Bengals team, like they missed some opportunities on special teams in terms of downing punts inside the Chargers territory. And the offense line was just shaky for the first 20, 25 minutes. And that really, you know, it impacted the game flow of the game for the offense. And at the end of the day, if your defense only allows 16 points, you should be able to win that game, especially at home. And they just weren't able to do that because they couldn't get going for the first 15 minutes of the game. Shaky describing the offensive line as being kind for those first two quarters, John, and we'll talk more about that in a second. We'll get to kind of the encouraging and discouraging facets of the game. My my thing, I, I agree with everything you said there. Uh, I, I want to say this, and I guess I don't want to start the show off on kind of a really sour or negative sounding note, but I came away and, and really have been having this thought the past few days, I came away when I saw Joe Burrow's facial expression on the sideline when Randy Bullock missed that kick. Okay. I, I, I almost got a little worried. I know it's one game. I know there's no preseason. I know I, I've been around this team for a long time. And what I was most excited about with Joe Burrow coming to the Bengals 
we've, we've said this on the show, the intangible stuff. Yeah, he's talented on field. He's got great football IQ, everything. But that clutch gene, right, the winner, the guy who had the amazing college season, and he's going to bring that winning attitude to Cincinnati, and he's going to drag everybody else with him. Well, he tried his damnness to do that. He tried his damnness to do that, even though he screwed up a couple times in this game, which is to be expected, rookie quarterback, no preseason. He tried his damnness, and even with the whatever you want to call the offensive pass interference call on A.J. Green at the end of the game, he got him down there. He had a would-be go-ahead touchdown or, at the minimum, a game-tying field goal set up for this team to go into overtime, and the team choked. The kicker choked. The rest of the team choked throughout different facets in the game. By the way, if you want to hate on on Randy Bullock, go ahead. But if the guy got injured, he got injured during the kick. You can't really help that. And there were many other missed opportunities in this football game, as there always is when you look at one missed kick. But I, what I'm getting at, John, is I just kind of came away a little bit worried that the Joe Burrow <laughs> effect – just maybe minimized a little bit because of the ghosts of Bengals past and what the issues have been with the Cincinnati Bengals and their way of not being able to close out games, even with a Joe Burrow at quarterback. The Joe Burrow effect that you're referring to, I think that's going to take time. You know, again, this is his first time in, in full NFL uniform going up against another team doing an actual NFL type game situation, but a couple other things. One I want to know what the cutoff is in terms of seconds left on the clock for them to not run one more play. Seven yep. seconds is still a decent amount of time. And, and moving back 10 yards from the three to the 13, you can still get off a very quick pass into the end zone, leave at least two or three seconds left for your kicker to go. And if the pass is incomplete, I don't know what the cutoff is in terms of them just deciding to kick the field goal. I know they didn't have a timeout. I don't care. Go for the win. Yep. Again, like, like the, what, what do you have to lose? You lost the game anyways. And I know, I know you're not expecting... Randy Bullock to miss a 31-yard kick or both of his calves to explode mid-kick. But try one more time. I, I don't know what the cutoff is. I would like to know. They're never going to reveal that information anyways, but I just did not like the calls. One of the it was one of the few lack or one of the few non-aggressive play calls or situations in this game. Also, everyone's blaming Bullock for whatever. That's that's fine. Kick kickers missed and they're the scapegoat. The Browns made their kicker the scapegoat. You know, they, they sacrificed him even though they lost by like 30. So that, that's not anything new. And everyone's blaming Bobby Hart because he had a bad game. You know, and, and those two are just unpopular players. They're, they're players that are, that are easy, you know, um, wh whipping boys, I think is the term. Joe Mixon fumbled, you know, in, in the fourth quarter and get, get, took points off the board for a potential Bengals drive. Yep. Joe Burrow threw an interception. And again, Joe Burrow did not play good. Like, it, it, I knew you were talking about the, the intangibles impacts of, of his arrival and with this team, but... Like his performance impacted the game. Like you can't, you can't score 13 points at home and expect to win every single time, even when your defense is playing as good as it as it did. So I understand the scapegoats in this game are are, and are Bobby Hart and Randy Bullock because those are two easy targets to pick on, and they had and they didn't perform their at their best when they needed to. But also there's more, there's just plenty of other things that went wrong in this game, and it's understandable why fans are mad at those specific people or they're not blaming them or not putting their fair shame or blame on them. But it comes down to way more than just one clear pass interference call and one missed kick. The fact that you brought up the issue with seven seconds left on the clock, 
you know, take a shot, that sort of thing. There are some mixed opinions out there. I'm with you, though, John. To me, if you're Zach Taylor, the supposed offensive guru, you got to have a play in your playbook for that situation. 12-yard line, a five-second play that's to the pylon. If it's incomplete, it's incomplete, or you give A.J. another shot with Joe Burrow, maybe giving him a fade, uh, a quick shot, then you've got a second or two on the clock. you got to have something in your in your back pocket for a situation like that. Easy for me to say, sitting on my couch, but Zach Taylor was hired for his offensive mind, and in my opinion, I think that he needs to have something in his arsenal for a situation like that. Furthermore, I know no preseason. I know rookie quarterback. I know all of, all of the issues, but the Bengals may not have even had – to deal with that situation at the end of the game had they not burned timeouts throughout the entire early portion of the second half. They had zero timeouts to work with at the end of the game there, and that also killed them. A a little bit of questionable game management by Zach Taylor and company there. So let's start with encouraged or discouraged. Uh, You can see I've already put the bias in this one, but coaching staff, okay, were you encouraged by what you, you saw? Because there were some second half adjustments on the offensive line. Um, you know, there were there were some things that the coaching staff did show. They kind of tried to formulate a game plan that sort of emulated what LSU ran. They they split out their wide receivers. I think one of the most in the NFL in terms of snaps. Uh, so, were you encouraged or discouraged at what you saw from the coaching staff this week? Definitely did not start encouraged. I think the fourth and two at the midfield was something that I was extremely pissed off about, and I didn't understand why they didn't have a play. Like I, I know, the, I know the offense was not doing good at that point, but again, like that—that's a situation where I feel like there, there's a clear argument to go for, especially with how your defense is playing. And you know, the argument is, oh, just pin them back down inside their own fifteen or ten. They couldn't because they didn't, their Gunners played bad that game, ended up going into the end zone, and then a couple plays later, the Chargers end up at like the forty-five yard line. Now, I don't. I don't remember if that that drive ended in a field goal or if they didn't score at all. But I I still think that that was just a turnover in in their own regard. And they left points on the board. Um, I mean, everyone's talking about the the adjust the adjustments that they made to make the pass protection better. I don't know if that was a result of just more play action or just spreading things out or just that you know Bobby Hart ended up winning a little bit more refs uh, later on the game against Bosa and Ingram. But um, I mean. Uh, there's still a lot of questions with Zach Taylor. He's two and 15. You can't really sugarcoat that at this point. And it's the first game with his new quarterback. So there is time to be given to him, but at some point you got to put up results in the situation. And, you know, only five passes beyond 15 yards is almost inexcusable to me. And, you know, it, 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 it I, I just had more questions with this coaching staff and answers right now. Agreed. And I, I was actually a bit a bit discouraged by the coaching staff, not only for what I said about the, the, the clock management and not really having a play in that critical situation at the end of the game, but also T. Higgins, Auden Tate, where are you? Why, I mean, I, I understand the rapport was built with Mike Thomas this, this preseason. I understand John Ross brings a dimension that those other receivers do not. But we saw John Ross be John Ross a couple of times or at least once in this game and these other guys, they aren't moving the ball. They aren't putting up points. Why not give your exciting second round rookie and the guy with the immense catch radius, Auden Tate, why not give them some reps, some looks and have them try and beat some defensive backs. Also, also on runs on first and second down Bengals average negative 0.26 expected points. added. They were awful. 
on the situations. And it just kept happening. It was like six or seven times they ran on second and long. A couple of them were just toss plays that were just easily snuffed out by the Chargers. They don't have this, they don't have the personnel to do that, especially in those situations where it's just not optimal at all to run the ball. Like I, I know you don't want to put too much on Burrow. I know that's like the perception right now, but you gotta let the you gotta let the dude have those situations because that's the that's the smart play call to just pass in the situations. It, when it comes down to running or passing, more times than not, the answer is passing. And Joe, Joe Mixon did not have a good game. He was the, he was the worst graded offensive player for the, for the offense. Not not just because of the fumble, he just couldn't do a lot, even with good blocking. There there was one play he ran for seven yards and he tripped on I, I think Trey Hopkins who was pinning on on a Michael Jordan trap block and Michael Jordan ended up paving the way perfectly for him. And he just he just let his momentum just carry him forward. He, he there, there's that's been a problem with him for the last couple of years now. Now a lot of people want to admit it, but even when he has perfect blocking, he doesn't always take advantage of it. So the, the run game has issues to, to fix, even with perfect blocking. And that only happens a handful of times during the game. And I know they don't want to put a ton on Burrow, but th- that, that's just not how you win. So let's go to the offensive. Well, let's go. Let's go to Burrow. Let's go to Burrow. Encourage, discourage. I mean, I think I know the answer here. And I think based on what the end of the game showed us, I mean, I, I, I think I know where you're going to go here. But encourage or discourage with Joe Burrow's performance. <sighs> The, the expectations again are still to take into to, into right. account. It wasn't. I don't think it was smart to expect him to light the world on fire immediately. Like that's so rare for rookie quarterback, especially in his first game. I remember Cam Newton did it ten years ago, but Cam is Cam. He's an alien. He's a freak. Also, that was a you know a good matchup against that Cardinals defense way back then. But again, this Chargers defense is pretty good. Like they have two really good corners, two really good edges, um, athletic linebackers. So they were able to minimize separation. The Bengals receivers were able to get. And they they pressured him immediately and often. And I think at the, out of the 36 throws I charted, I think I had Burrow accurate or made a good decision for about 30 of them. But the misses that he had, you know, missed the miss to John Ross in the end zone, the clear miss to AJ Green in the end zone, and obviously the interception to Melvin Ingram, which was just inexcusable in every sense of the word. Th- those th- those decisions matter, and they took a lot of points off the board. So accurate and poise and decisive for most of the game. And I think that deserves a lot of credit, and especially in the last drive. You know, you say what you want about potentially the Chargers playing off and allowing stuff in front of him. He still made good decisions. He still made accurate throws. Still made a lot of clutch throws on that drive and was able to put them in in that position. So the reason why they were down three points is primarily because of Joe Burrow and that offensive line, obviously. But at the end of the day, he was able to get them in a position to win. I think that still counts for something. So it was ugly, but promising in the ways that you wanted it to. There was one throw he made towards the end of the game. I think it was maybe the final drive, if I remember correctly, where he tried to drop one right in the bucket to A.J. Green uh, after he eluded some pressure. And it ended up, I think Green had one of his feet out of bounds. And if you listen to that interview from Ace and Zim, uh, A.J. Green talks about it. But I came away, just that was one throw where, I, you know, Andy Dalton trying to make that play would just be nowhere even close. And the fact that this ball was dropped right in between two defenders, almost completed AJ Green on the sideline. That throw was was pretty incredible. Uh, there were a couple of other throws. The one that he wasn't expecting the snap, uh, and it kind of bounced off his his thigh a little bit, and he, he shot a, a nice ball across the middle. I think that one was to AJ Green as well. There were a couple of nice plays. The AJ Green miss that was just like a gut punch. Uh, and, and I'm curious, John. So, uh, do you place that John Ross? There's a lot of debate about the John Ross end zone throw. Is that is that a John Ross issue, or is that a Joe Burrow issue, or just a little bit of both? It probably goes with both. I don't think anybody 
has counted that as an official drop for Ross, but again, it's not really official. It's it's just trying to decipher if he, the ball actually touched his hands. Regardless if it did, and I think Ross could have made a slightly better effort to haul that in. And I think from the grand scheme of things, it was a really accurate throw. So I mean, it, it kind of it, it can go both ways with that. But but also, you know, there's there's some more things to like about Burr's performance that I didn't say. Like on that AJ Green throw, I believe he audibled out of. They were in a three by two empty set, and he audible to get AJ Green in that into that slogan because he was going up against, I think, Nick Vigil in the slot. It was a clear mismatch, and he was able to get look off the safety to his left and just throw. He had Green wide open. He just overthrew it a little bit, and I, and the touchdown run that he had again out of a three by two empty that was an audible too, and he followed Trey Hopkins perfectly and patiently behind, and he was able to accelerate into the end zone. So there was a lot of you know subtle things that. Maybe you, you wouldn't notice at the beginning of the first watch, but you recognize that Burrow was making some clear-cut pre-snap decisions, putting his team in a good chance to win. But again, it, it comes with experience. He's going to make those throws more times than not. Unfortunately, in a game where you just have a bad offensive performance in general, those misses hurt more times than not. So let's move to offensive line. This one's a tough one all around, John, because you mentioned the issues of Bobby Hart. Um you know, Xavier Suofilo left the game. Billy Price had some up, ups and downs. Trey Hopkins had a largely decent day. Uh, Jonah Williams was beat a couple of times. Go go uh, watch Matt Minnick's Twitter timeline, by the way. He's got some nice film breakdown on Jonah Williams. But if you also look at Paul Alexander, former Bengals offensive line coach, his Twitter account, he was very complimentary of uh, Jonah Williams on the left side. And then of course, like I mentioned, Bobby Hart. Now the weird thing with pro football focus, and I know a lot of people take that as absolute football scripture in terms of data and metrics, Bobby Hart had a better PFF score than Jonah Williams. Uh, and Trey Hopkins had a better score than both of them. None of them cracked 70. So I think they were in the mid, mid to high sixties without having that right in front of me. So yeah, to me, there's it's a mixed bag, uh, and again, it's a tale of two halves. Overall, I'm pretty discouraged, I would say. What do you think, John? For the record, Bobby Hart's grade is 0.4 larger or greater than Jonah Williams. That and that's prim- pr- primarily because Bobby Hart was actually one of their better run blockers. If you want, if you go yeah. back and watch the game, he was he was doing pretty good work in the run game. He was one of the only few guys to, that was doing good work in the run game. But there were there were obvious misses with Hart. He allowed six pressures. I think he had the fourth or fifth worst pass walking grade of the entire NFL. I think one of the worst for right tackles. He, he got beat like a drum against Bosa. That's that's what we should have expected. And with, with with Williams, he was largely very clean. And the first clear miss that he had was something that was a problem with him going back to Alabama and a predicted problem for him going into the NFL. Those inside counter moves, like guys who can maybe you know leverage the outside and then go back inside with either a swim or some type of spin or or whatever, like Bosa. Got him on a like a clear swim move and one of the first true pass blocking snaps that he had. A lot of pressure and and Burrow couldn't get rid of the ball and Burrow gets sacked by Jerry Tiller who comes off his block because of the boast of pressure. So aside from that, Williams had maybe like one or two more pressures allowed, but largely remained clean because like that that's just who he is. He's a technician and any any time you're not going to have those inside counters, he's going to be able to handle it even with you know suboptimal length and, and and size, I guess. So Williams was okay and Hart, you know. And ended up having more good reps than I think you would have expected. But again, like you can't have uh, all those misses and that you can't have the bad with heart and expect to ma- maintain cleanness, cleanliness for the entire game. It was, it was expected because of the competition that he was going up against, but you just can't, you can't live with that. You can't, you can't have that and expect to, to be clean on, on offense. And especially for a quarterback that you don't want to get hit for more times 
in, in, in his first couple starts. Like that's it's a recipe for disaster. And I think with Hart, you know, you mentioned that he did he was pretty able at most points in the game in the running game. I, you know, I think it's the errors that he makes are so egregious and such drive killers um, that it just really accentuates uh, his his errors more so than than maybe the uh, the other linemen. But you know, I, I watched again some Matt. I, I had planned to do some work on Jonah Williams, but Matt Minnick did it for me. Uh, so I saw, you know, he had a clip also showing that Bobby Hart uh, on a missed assignment or something of the like uh, really was kind of one of the causes of Joe Mixon getting hit when he did not expect it and fumbled the football. So um, that is also a, a film snippet breakdown on Matt Minnick's Twitter timeline. So go check that out. But, you know, I, it's it's kind of weird to me. I'm, I'm encouraged by Jonah Williams, first pro start, went up against some great talent. I'm encouraged long term about what we've seen there. But Rest of the line, I mean, Trey, Trey Hopkins, I'm encouraged as well. But the rest of the line, uh, I mean, we, we saw what it was for the first two quarters, and it, it was not not pretty. Let's transition to the defense, John. Um, it, this is I, – I, we could go group by group if you want. Um, let's let's go kind of front – the front tier, the front sevens, front, front eight, you know, the linebackers and defensive line. Let's go there, and then we'll go to secondary because I think we know what the secondary is going to be. But – Let's start with kind of the the non safeties corner cornerbacks. Let's go linebackers and defensive line. Were you encouraged or discouraged what with what you saw? Because look, to me it looked it seemed as if it was much more manageable in terms of, you know, chunk yardage not given up and the Bengals were getting off the field. They held him a couple of times on fourth down, like you said, on your home turf, 16 points given up, you should win that game, but you know, the running backs ended up kind of getting some yardage at the end of the game. They they ran for well over 100 yards, and uh, there were some issues here and there. But um, what do you think, encouraged or discouraged by the defense? It, it was it was encouraging for a couple of years. When you look at the front seven, um, I think 80, you know, 78% of their snaps came in just even man fronts, so just like a traditional four-man front. So they didn't have a lot of opportunities to go into their three, four looks because they just didn't have the personnel, especially with Mike Daniels going down with an injury and even DJ reader going down. So the, the depth of defensive tackle was, was extremely tested. And when reader went out, they gave up some, some chunk plays on the ground. I think that's what happened with their, their um, second or third, their second touchdown with Josh Kelly. He just ran up the gut and you know, that defense is kind of exposed to that reader out there. But um, I think they held their own against the run for most of the game. Uh, they managed to, to limit Eckler's impact there. Um, tackling was was very good, I think. Yep. Um, I, the guy who, know, who kind of stood out to me was Josh Bynes. He had a lot of juice on some of those outside runs and was 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 closing them pretty pretty quickly. And it was it was, it was refreshing to see because even Pratt, I think he ended up having a couple of missed tackles and a couple of missed reads in terms of, of, of getting into his fits. But he even he still played pretty decently for what what can be expected of him. Uh, you had the rookie linebackers and Logan Wilson and Keen Davis Gaither coming in on the first drive on third down, used largely in coverage and a couple of blitz opportunities. I think Davis Gaither ended up having a pressure on Tyrod Taylor that forced an incompletion on, on a deep ball. Um, unfortunately, the pass rush just wasn't really there. You know, I mean, Geno Atkins' absence, it hurt because he had some mismatches against the battered Chargers and tier offensive line, but you didn't really have Carl Lawson or Carlos Dunlap getting home pretty consistently. I think Lost and ended up having a couple of pressures and one on Tyrod Taylor, who still completed a deep ball to Mike Williams. So credit to, to Tyrod. But unfortunately, pass rush did not get home pretty consistently. Sam Hubbard had a great day in run defense, but again, it was pretty pedestrian. 
from a from a pass rushing standpoint. So you know they limited the run pretty pretty well. You know Tyrod had a couple of of option runs and option keepers that were contained pretty well by the defense. So encouraging relative to what the linebackers were last year, encouraging relative to what the run defense was last year. Unfortunately, the pass rush couldn't really get home that much. And even though the defense played very well overall, that was still a little bit, a little bit underwhelming to see. Yeah, I. That's why I love having doing the show with you and doing the show with Matt. You guys, you guys do my work for me. I love it. Uh, Josh Bynes was very active. Also had a quarterback sack. Um, Pratt, twelve total tackles. You, you were right. There were a couple misses there, but twelve total tackles and the tackling in general was much, much better. And yes, you took the words out of my mouth with with the DJ Reader effect. When he left, that defense was different. Um, when you don't have DJ Reader and no Geno Atkins, that defense is a lot different, and, and you can tell. Thankfully, DJ Reader, who was carted off the field, that looks scary. Uh, he came back, just had some cramps, and then um, is, should be good to go again Thursday night. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. So let's end the week one chatter and encourage, discourage. Let's end it with the secondary. I was extremely encouraged with what I saw from that group. There were some ups and downs from Darius Phillips, but he did have a pass breakup there, a couple pass breakups. Um, you know, William Jackson was was great. That was some of the best football I've seen him play. And Jesse Bates, that was probably, without garnering an interception, you could argue that was his best game. I think he came close to a 92 PFF score on that in the, on Sunday. Uh, did get flagged. Um, it's kind of one of those things. What, what do you do on, the, on that play for Jesse Bates? But uh, he was all over the field. Um, you know, not not so much uh, fanfare for Von Bell, uh, but I mean those those guys were out there. Mackenzie Alexander was making plays. So for me, I was pretty encouraged by what I saw from the secondary. The third highest graded coverage unit in the NFL according to PFF, and that goes to show you why coverage sometimes matters more than just pass rush. You know, it's nice to be able to get home with only four guys, but when you have, you know, William Jackson, Mackenzie Alexander, Jesse Bates, all playing tr- tremendously against a stacked receiving core or just a really front heavy receiving core, Mike Williams and Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler and Hunter Henry. That was encouraging to see. And it didn't allow Tyrod Taylor to make a lot of easy throws. The throws that Tyrod Taylor didn't make though, he earned them. Like there were some dimes that he was dropping against some tight coverage, specifically against Darius Phillips a couple times. And with Phillips, it was, you know, there wasn't obviously a lot of plays he made on the ball, and that's what you want from him when you play him because he has a playmaker mentality like that. But he just, unfortunately, it's just been it's kind of been what it's what his career has been so far. You know, it's been a lot of giving up the occasional big player to, and this time it was against Mike Williams. And even on at you know even the and even if he stopped one of the receptions, he was called for defensive holding, which kept the, which kept the drive alive. So you know, Bates played spectacular. I mean, the penalty is just. I, I'm I'm with Joe Goodberry on this one. I, I think at some point you, you just have to hammer into these guys that you cannot go for the head, even if you don't make contact with the head, even if it's just leading with the shoulder, making contact with the shoulder. The, the refs are going to call that 10 times out of 10. you got to go lower, even if it means potentially taking out some guys' legs. Like They, they have to hammer that in because at, because they're just always going to get flagged for it, and you're always going to put your team in a, in a bad situation. And he got lucky that the, you know later in the game when he led with his head, um, it was offset because Keenan Allen led with his head and he initiated the contact as well. So they have to hammer that in and eventually guys have to evolve with that. But Bates played spectacular. He was all over the field. Unfortunately, Von Bell got cops sleeping on a couple of crossing routes and he ended up not playing really his best game. But Mackenzie Alexander was was a quiet, quietly had a really good game in the slot as well. So 
really encouraging from the secondary. William Jackson played a lot more physical, a lot more in, in, in tightly contested coverage situations. So, you know, the secondary played fantastic, and that was part of the reason why they had one of the better defensive defensive performances in the league this, this week. Keenan Allen was basically a non-factor, and, and William Jackson was uh, largely responsible for him. So, you know, you got you to gotta like that there. You know, Akilah the Great in the live YouTube chat, even though he or she disagreed with me vehemently about my kicker comment earlier in the show, uh, Mike Williams was pushing off harder than A.J. Green did against that corner. They never called it on him, and it's a damn shame they called it on Green. Uh, definitely agree with you there, Aquila the, the Great. Um, the other oh, – oh, just overall, though, John, on defense concerning – and I guess it's the Geno Atkins effect. Ben Baby joined us last week and talked about how the pass rush starts and ends with Geno Atkins on the defensive line. He not only generates it himself, but he opens it up for everybody else. Uh, a lack of pass rush against a, a Chargers line that was kind of patchwork. They had a lot of injuries that they were experiencing on that line. Uh, I think the Bengals had two sacks on the day, one of which was was from Bynes there. Um, and the other issue, a lack of turnovers. They were minus two in the turnover margin. They were one of the worst in that statistical category last year. The Chargers were surprisingly worse in that statistical category last year. So, And guess what? The pass rush and turnovers – oftentimes go hand in hand when you when you have a good pass rush you force bad throws tips all that kind of stuff so um those overall for the defense is is a bit concerning for me but i think they did enough to give the team a, a chance to win i'm trying to remember if they had an opportunity for an interception but i don't think that they really did i think tyrod kept it out of harm's way for yeah. the most part so and and someone said that lawson did have a sack but that play was weird because it was Lawson and Khalid Kareem on the field at edge, and both tackles kind of did like the catapult technique where they just shot the edges forward, and usually they do that on like screens or something where it's like a QB draw, but it wasn't. Tyrod just took a three-step drop out of the out of the shotgun, and he just got rattled back there, and, and Lawson had a clear path once he turned the corner. So it was Kareem who kind of forced the pressure, and Lawson finished it up, but it's not really a clean stack, and that's kind of reflected in this pass rushing grade, only a 67.2, which is the highest pass rushing grade for any of these guys. So the pass rush, it did get a sack and it did get a handful of pressures, but for the most part, Chargers offensive line kept them in check, allowed Tyrod to make some some clean throws and clean pockets. So that's ultimately why they had some success and why they ended up putting 16 points on the board. But the Bengals fall to 0-1, a game they could have, would have, should have had uh, at home against the Chargers. Um, you know, this may be one they look back at later in the year, depending on how the rest of things go and, they grimace a little bit, but we'll see, uh, you know, not, not the, there's a lot to be encouraged about in this start. I know a lot of people are saying we're, we're doom and gloomers in here in our live chats. That's fine. If you want to think that that's what we're being, so it's evaluation, come on guys, we're analyzing the game. I mean, <laughs> I mean, whatever, but anyway, uh, you know, that's, uh, we'll, we'll look back at week one, probably in a few weeks now. And, and, uh, I hope we don't wonder what could have been based on how the Bengals season is going. Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI, with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder wherever you get your podcasts.
Support for this episode comes from Viator. Sure, a good souvenir is always fun, but it's the experiences that people love the most about traveling. When you get back home, that t-shirt might fade and that snow globe might break, but it's those once-in-a-lifetime memories that will last. Viator is a website and app where you can book travel experiences like architectural sightseeing, snorkeling excursions, sunset cruises, and so much more. With Viator, you can reserve everything from simple tours to thrilling adventures with over 300,000 bookable experiences in 190 countries. Whether you're a foodie, a history buff, or an adrenaline junkie, there's something for everyone. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you can have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. When you book a travel experience with Viator, there's always flexibility and support with free cancellation, payment options, and 24-7 service. Make memories that will last forever with Viator. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Life moves pretty fast. Are you drinking water that can keep up? Smartwater Alkaline has everything you need to stay hydrated, no matter where your day takes you. Whether you're pitching a tent or your next big idea, Smartwater Alkaline can help you perform your best. It delivers a pure, crisp taste that makes it the perfect chaser after a big workout. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. We're going to get uh, to a stat of the week and then a soundbite of the week, and then we're going to talk about some Browns Thursday night football in just a second. Before we do, just a quick reminder to get this show on your favorite audio platform, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Megaphone, iHeartRadio. You can also get, if you like joining us live, check out our YouTube channel. Join us on Cincy Jungle's Facebook page. Or if you can't join us live, if we just start too late for you or you got work or whatever, you can always get our stuff after the fact. We'd love to have you join us live, though. By the way, we are doing a new show that we've done. We kicked it off last week, pregame. Uh, we do a pregame show courtesy of Narragansett Beer. We had Bengal Jim Foster join us from his drive through tailgate last week. And we've got uh, super fan Yaz joining us, I guess, this week, John. Um, she's uh, she's making waves out there in the Bengals community and uh, should be a really fun guest. So we are excited to have her on the pregame show we will be kicking that off about an hour before kickoff of Thursday night football. So join us for that. Uh, it's it's more of a loose tailgate vibe for us. Yeah, we do some interviews and giveaways and all that kind of and analysis, of course. Um, but we're there to have some fun, as as are all of you. So hopefully you enjoyed our first go around with that. And we'll be bringing that to you throughout the rest of the season. So, John, you have a stat of the week for us. Now that the regular season has started, we're going to kind of institute this as a as a small segment stat of the week uh john and or i will provide stats of the week and i know john you have a somewhat in-depth one that you want to share with us yeah, it was interesting i saw it on twitter from a guy named anthony reinhard um he was just kind of a football data expert and he essentially calculated and, and tracked um every single game this week in terms of how many minutes of quote-unquote garbage time that there were garbage time and his definition is either um, a play where the win probability for the the winning team is either eighty to ninety or or just above ninety. So essentially, over eighty percent win probability. Bengals had, I think, the the Bengals Chargers game had about one minute, maybe less than one minute of 
of, of garbage time, which was by far the lowest in the league. I think only the Titans and Broncos and the Cardinals and the 49ers were relatively close because they had a, like a couple of minutes of, of garbage time respectively. So this was the most tightly contested game of week one, a week where a lot of people didn't really know what to expect, a week where a game that was, I think, minus three and a half for the away team, which is very rare for a week, a week one opener um for the home team so this game was very close for throughout the entire game and you know there were there were obviously some momentum swingers there were some big plays unfortunately both turnovers i think were the most impactful plays in terms of an expected points add to perspective for the Bengals. but this game was extremely competitive towards the end and that i think shows you how competitive it was compared to everywhere else around the league i kind of gave mine out in our week one analysis here. I was going to kind of go with some PFF scores on the offensive line that I thought were pretty interesting. So I won't kind of rehash that because we talked about it a lot, but you know, that it just caused me to a little bit. I I know we all adhere to the PFF system and and rightfully so they do great work. Uh, You know, I know Evan McPhillips and and all other uh, we've had him on this show, by the way, and other PFF contributors uh, do great work. It just sometimes you the eye test sometimes doesn't line up with some of the scores. And then sometimes your eye test fools you as well. And you got to go back and you watch things. Um, Like you said, John, with the Bobby Hart thing, he did have some good moments in the run game. uh, And it caused me to go back and look at some of that. Uh, based on his score, because, you know, some of these egregious errors that he commits just makes you say he, you know, his score is going to be awful. Right. Uh, And and when you, when you don't hear Jonah Williams's name called for good reasons, oftentimes in the game, it it makes you reevaluate, you know, kind of what you're seeing in the game and what those guys see. So, um, you know, the, 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 within the sixties for those, those three guys that, that we really looked hard at Trey Hopkins, Jonah Williams, and Bobby Hart, those PFF scores to me were were pretty interesting. Hey, how about this too? And we're just going to throw out another PFF stat here. Joe Mixon's total rushing yards, rushing from the center to the left side, six. From the from the center to the right side, sixty three. Yeah. So that that's kind of where that that Bobby Hart PFF grade goes because I think going over the right tackle. And against the right defensive end, he had nine carries for about 37 yards going up the middle in the A gap between uh, Trey Hopkins and Billy Price, who ended up playing a lot when Xavier Suofield got injured. He had, I believe, six carries for for 26 yards. So Mixon was by far more productive going uh, rushing towards the right side. And maybe that was in in part because they had either Uzoma or or Sample also blocking on that side when they're in 11 personnel. But Unfortunately, it wasn't the greatest day for Jonah Williams. Run blocking, that was partly why his PFF grade wasn't exactly um, reflective of his overall work and pass protection. It was, ended up being a little bit lower than Bobby Hart, but that's where Mixon found success in the run game. Unfortunately, his one fumble was on, a, on an outside carry to the right. Yeah, on the right side, for sure. Well, those are our stats of the week, so uh, we'll be bringing those to you weekly as the season progresses and it giving you some, some different stats that we find Pretty interesting from the previous game. We're going to transition here before we go into analysis of the Cleveland Browns game on Thursday Night Football. I'm going to uh, stroke my own ego here as I teased at the beginning of the show. Uh, Earlier this week, I was going to play a clip from Colin Cowherd, but I kind of, you know, talking about Joe Burrow and how he has flip-flopped his – 
opinion on Joe Burrow from maybe a couple of months ago based on what he saw week one. I decided against that for the soundbite of the week because you get to hear one from me. I recently had the opportunity to speak to some NFL Network media. Steve Smith Sr., the, the former wide receiver of the, the Panthers and the Ravens. Colleen Wolf, who's kind of the uh, lead anchor of Thursday Night Football. And then, of course, Joe Thomas, the future Hall of Fame tackle for the Cleveland Browns. Uh, kind of surreal moment. I was in with some uh, heavy hitters in terms of media members, John. So that was uh, that was kind of interesting. But I, I asked a question. It was kind of a two-part question to the trio about what they thought about Joe Burrow's performance in week one, where the Bengals should be at in terms of encouragement, and what this game means to uh, both Joe, well, just Joe Burrow in terms of his early development. So you're going to hear from Steve Smith, you're going to hear me, and then you're going to hear Steve Smith, then you're going to hear Joe Thomas, and then you're going to hear Colleen Wolf. It is a couple of minutes, so bear with it, but I thought it was something hasn't really been put out on the airwaves yet. I thought it was something you guys would enjoy hearing from these folks. So here you go. Thanks, Andrew. Uh, a question for all three of you, if you have an opinion on it. Some talk already about Baker Mayfield. Um, wanted to ask you about the quarterback he's going to be going up against this week in Joe Burrow. I wanted to get your guys maybe quick analysis on what you saw from him in week one. Obviously, some ups, some downs, fought through some offensive line issues, but uh, gave the, ch- the team a chance to win. And I also would like to ask you how important you think this week two game road divisional playoff uh, primetime game is for the development of Joe Burrow early in his career. I guess I'll take it uh, I, I think watching Joe Burrow, you know, for a young guy, uh, he was very uh, patient. Um, he, I don't know what was going on in your head, but in his head, but he seemed to really um, have a control of, of, on things that did not seem to be rattled. Now I know, um, you know, I've played with guys that they on the outside don't seem to be rattled, but if I'm around them long enough, they show little tendencies that may not be glaring, but that means that they are rattled. So, um, but from the outside looking in, from my couch, um, he looked pretty good, and uh, you know, maybe some other couches he they didn't probably like him, but I mean, he looked good for mine. And Thursday, I'll be sitting in my office chair, so I think he'll probably look the same, which is uh, the right pick uh, for for the right team, uh, for what they what they need and what direction they're trying to go. I thought it was yeah. a really encouraging start, right, Joe? Yeah. We're warming up for tomorrow. Yes. <laughs> go ahead. He definitely exceeded my expectations. I thought that he is in the most difficult position of any player in the NFL being a pick with high expectations at a position that takes a long time to learn in an off season that they've had what 15 practices as a team in that offense. And that's as hard of a situation as you could possibly be in. And as a rookie quarterback, that's just meat in the water for a defense. And so to be able to take his team back down the field and give this team a chance to win in a two minute offense, which is already difficult, uh, not to mention being a rookie in that situation was really impressive. And he took what the defense gave him. He he really did a good job of towing the line between like confidence and cocky because he was out there just cool as a cucumber, delivering the football, never getting rattled, which is so rare for a rookie quarterback. Um, but also giving his team hope. Like he kind of had that little bit of swagger to him. Like I got this. Like I've been here before. I know I've never done it here on this level, but I know what this is all about. 
that's got to give them a lot of confidence to that entire Bengals organization that we got the right guy. So it'll be really interesting to watch on Thursday now that the Browns have a little bit of tape on them and kind of maybe they're not going to see a lot of tendencies because it's a small sample size, but they're going to see a few tendencies as far as his eyes and his footwork and formationally and where he likes to go with the football and certain coverages and certain route concepts that are they going to be able to take advantage of it or is he going to be able to continue to evolve continue to grow because the one question I always have when a rookie does a good job is were they just being vanilla and just giving him check downs because they didn't know what he was going to do or were they really throwing a lot of stuff at him and making him think uh, because usually once a defense kind of hones in on who you are as a quarterback they start to eat you up and if you can't go to your things that you haven't shown being really good at they eat you up and then you you don't make it very long in the league I think they should feel really good about that start. I mean, the first half was a little bit of a mixed bag, but I think he was a lot better in the second half. Look, he struggled early, took some sacks, he missed some open guys. The first three possessions were not great. They all ended in punts, but then, of course, he ran it in uh, on their fourth possession there for the 23-yard score. I think that the thing that impressed me the most was on that final drive, the fact that he looked so poised. He managed the clock so well over those last few minutes they didn't have any timeouts left and I think that he was able to really make some great laser throws into tight windows spread it around he covered 70 yards in that final drive and I think at the end with the OPI call uh on AJ Green and then of course the ensuing missed field goal just watching Burrow's face I think it was all of our faces at that point So that was, it's a little little longer than most of our sound bites of the week, John, but, uh, and not much additional analysis that we can provide, but I, I did want to share that with the fans, not only because I thought it was interesting hearing two Hall of Fame players talk about it and calling Wolf a prominent uh, anchor on the NFL Network, talk all about Joe Burrow and their performances, but that kind of seems to be, a, even though we were kind of a little hard on him earlier in the show, that kind of seems to be a national narrative or a consensus opinion in terms of Joe Burrow's performance in week one. He gutted it out, and I think we need to make that clear because you know we're we're hard on him because unfortunately he didn't play well. Because he didn't play well, they were in that position in the first place. But he managed to get him out as best as he could. Now he's not he doesn't decide what gets to be thrown a flag or not. But he threw a great ball to AJ Green that would have been the go ahead touchdown, and maybe if a different ref was back there as the back judge, you know. So for the things that he could control in those moments, like he delivered, and I think that is worthy of praise. And I'm, I'm not surprised at all that two guys and Joe Thomas and Steve Smith, who are hard to, to really generate praise from were able to give it to him. So he's, he's proving himself to be the guy that he is, but of course it's going to take time. He wasn't there completely for, for this game because it was his first game. And like Thomas said, you only had 15 practices, only about seven of those were had featured contact with it. So, you know, it, it, it takes time, but for what we saw at the beginning of the, of his career, like, again, it, it's, it's good for now. Yep. Well, I wanted to share that with you all. Thanks for indulging me. I thought it was pretty uh, entertaining and pretty interesting to hear their take. I know it was a little longer than than normal, but I think it also provides that soundbite of the week provides a nice segue into us talking a bit about the Bengals taking on the Browns in Cleveland on Thursday night. Um, they they kind of touched on it a little bit in that soundbite of the week, not over not overly much so, but. How, how much do you think this game is important in terms of Joe Burrow showing improvement, in terms of maybe even getting a win on the road, divisional opponent, Battle of Ohio, primetime TV? How important do you think this game is for a good performance out of Joe Burrow in terms of his development and confidence level for everybody associated with the Bengals? 
Well, if you want to get really big picture, like this is to avoid the 0-2 start. You know, teams who start 0-2 have like a 14 or 11% chance of making the playoffs. So essentially, you're not all the way eliminated, but you're it, it's like being really bad like when we, in week eight. You know, it, it's hard to come out of that. So there's obviously implica- implications of that because both teams are trying to go against that. But I, I think like the Browns, again, they're, they're going to come out Burrow with, with, with ferocity. Like, unfortunately for, for Bobby Hart, he only faced Joey Bosa, I think, on like 70 or 75% of his pass blocking snap. Miles Garrett stayed on the left side of the Browns defensive line for the entirety of week one, going up against the right tackle for every single snap. So if that stays the same, he's going to get 60 minutes of Miles Garrett, which is who is even even more of an athletic freak as an edge rusher compared to Joey Bosa. So if that becomes a problem again and Burrow continues to run for his life, you know, they, they need to make an adjustment a lot quicker than they did. And on Sunday, because fortunately for Burrow and the Bengals offense, Browns don't really have a secondary right now. You know, Greedy Williams is out. Grant Delpit's out for the year. All they really have is Denzel Ward. They traded for, for Rodney, for Rodney Harrison, but um, they, they just, their secondary is just terrible. And that's why they had such an awful performance against Lamar Jackson. So there is an advantage for him to exploit. And that, that can be the avenue that leads him to progression and improvement. But, and for Burrow overall, again, like it's hard to go on. Like this is the same situation that Deshaun Watson was in in his rookie year. He played. He started out of the gate week one, and his first road game was against the Bengals on Thursday night back in 2017. And Watson had like a long touchdown run, but as a passer, I don't remember him doing anything really special in that game. Yeah. It ended, up being, it ended up being a little scoring game, and that that the Watson barely squeaked out. So I don't expect Burrow to just again make these incredible strides and, and light the Browns on fire, even though it's LOL the Browns and they have a bad secondary. There's still going to going to be mistakes. He's go, still going to face a lot of pressure against that Browns defensive front, but there are. Ex- there are parts of this Browns roster that can be exploited, and it's up to the, it's up to Burrow and the Bengals to do the best to, to try their best to do that. Before we get to the the injury report, you kind of talked about a couple of players, and there are some very important players for both teams, either questionable or out for this game. Well, and I'll share that in just a second. We're talking quarterbacks, Burrow going into Cleveland and potentially you know getting a win there. What that would mean, I know we don't cover the Browns, John. But I think this is a big game for Baker Mayfield's career. Um, he is 12 and 18 as a starter throughout different smatterings of starts in, in three different seasons. There are a lot of questions kind of starting to arise about him. And I got to tell you, in this in this media Zoom meeting I was in today where I played that soundbite of the week, uh, Mary Kay Cabot of the Cleveland Plain Dealer was in there and was asking asking Joe Thomas some pretty poignant questions about concerns with Baker Mayfield. I know it's early. I know, you know, he doesn't have, he's only got 30 starts in, you know, two plus what uh, equates to two plus seasons, but didn't play well last week. Uh, There's kind of some off season stuff with him. And of course the mega failure that was last year, how big of a game do you think it is for, for Baker Mayfield this week? I'm just watching the Raven. Like I watched the first, I watched, just the first half of that Ravens game on uh, um, the condensed version on game pass. And I, I, I listened to Robert Mays and Nate Tice on the athletic football show talk. And they, they said it better than I could. Like when is Baker going to not see ghosts anymore? Like, I, I wonder what those ghosts look like because he clearly still sees them. The Browns offense line played pretty well against the Ravens defensive line. And he was still abandoning pockets predominantly to his right, which is what he did last year. He showed clear regression in his sophomore year last season and just regressed into this quarterback that we didn't even see back in Oklahoma. And he still looks like that same guy. So eventually it has to click like they, 
Like there's still talent on, on that offense. The offense line's completely revamped, and it's it should be an above average one by the by the time we get to the end of the season. Unfortunately, a couple of guys hurt for them, and that may complicate some things uh, tomorrow on Thursday. But like there there was opportunities for Baker Mayfield to play a lot better than they did on Sunday, and he just couldn't. And uh, ultimately, they fell into a hole that they couldn't come out of because Lamar Jackson's a cheat code and on and, and on NFL blitz, and he's impossible to beat when he gets going like that. So I mean, May- Mayfield just. He's falling into the same trap and to the same curse that every Cleveland quarterback seems to end up being. You know, there was an argument for him, you know, kind of breaking that and, and being the exception to the rule. But for whatever reason, he just can't get get over his, his own self. And he's just progressing tremendously from the quarterback that we saw at Oklahoma. So this is obviously a huge game for him because he's going up against a, a new quarterback that entered the, entered the division, a new Heisman Trophy winning quarterback that is ultimately more more pro ready at this point than even he is. And he's two years younger than him. He has got, you know, 30 less games of NFL experience on him. And he still looks more, more poised than he ever has looked in, in the NFL. So, you know, I, it's up to the Bengals to put pressure on him and it's up to the secondary to, to clamp down on Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham Jr. Because if they do that, I'm just not scared of, of Baker Mayfield right now. And I wouldn't have said that back in 2018 when he was, you know, contending for NFL rookie of the year. So this is huge for him. And, in, in terms of his long-term future with Cleveland. I believe Baker Mayfield has a 2-1 record against the Bengals. I think he kind of stepped in for the second start, the infamous Hugh Jackson game, right, um, where he, he taunted Hugh Jackson. He got a win there, and they split last year, the Bengals getting a win at the end of the season for Zach Taylor. So, uh, you know, I think he does have a winning record against the Bengals. It's just a matter of – and that that does weigh that has some weight in Cleveland, but um, you know that that only goes so far when you're finishing six and ten, seven and nine, etc. I'm going to share my screen here, John, uh, and show the Bengals injury report. Not well, actually, the injury report for both teams. Not good news, my friend. Uh, Geno Atkins and Mike Daniels. Geno Atkins was out last week. Mike Daniels came in in uh, relief of him on the interior of the defensive line. Sam Hubbard co- uh, complimented Mike Daniels in his play, um, you know, gutting out a, a decent performance given the fact that Daniels was already hobbled going into that game and had to play a massive amount of st- snaps since Atkins is out, uh, was out. We heard from Bengal Jim uh, at his tailgate. Troy Blackburn ran by him when he was setting up his drive through tailgate saying, you know, Gino was going to be 50-50 for this game. It sounds like, if we're to believe that, that week three uh, should be the return, especially with the extended week. Probably the same thing with Mike Daniels, a few extra days of rest. But both of those guys are out. Sean Williams is out, John, uh, once again. Xavier Suofilo is out with an ankle injury. They put him on IR. He should, uh, depending on the severity of that, should be able to return in a couple of weeks. But he will not play. Uh Randy Bullock is in. Billy Price is in for Suofilo. What do you what do you, on the Bengal side of things? What do you, what do you make of all of this? Well, I, I guess this is the time of the show we have to acknowledge Jake Lisko in the comments section because I saw he had a projected forty uh, eight man active roster for the Bengals on Thursday. And he had Trayvon Henderson a part of it, and I wasn't aware that Trayvon Henderson was elevated to the roster off of the practice squad for the second week in a row. If that is the case, then. Maybe he actually sees the field in place of Sean Williams, who is out and was expected to be out on, on such a short week. Without Atkins and Daniels at, at, on the on the defensive line, I think that just means that Chris, Christian Covington starting next to DJ Reader 
And, and, you know, both those guys aren't necessarily great pass rushing threats from the three technique spot, but I think Covington's going to get the nod at, at that spot. I would like it to be Andrew Brown because I think he just adds a little bit more upside as a pass rusher, but I think Brown played like what, four, like 10 or 14 snaps on, on, on the defensive line, even with Reader and Daniels out for part of the game. So he just, he's just falling out of favor, I guess. And that's why I think they elevated Amani blood. So they didn't elevate. He, they outright signed him to the active roster when they put Ciofilo on, on, on IR. So, you know, blood is going to get snaps at three technique. Brown's going to get snaps behind here in Covington. So that's just the form orientation that they have up front. And that's an area that I'm sure the Browns are licking their chops at to exploit because by and large against the Ravens, like early on in the game, like Nick Chubb and Kareem Hubbard were creating some damage. And it was partly because Wyatt Taylor had like a 91.6 run blocking grid against the Ravens. Like he was paving the way at right guard for them. Joel Bytonia and JC Schroeder both had pretty good games as well. Again, Schroeder is, I think, questionable for this game. So he's going to be a game time decision. If he can't go, that's going to be a blow to their running game. But I think that's the point of emphasis that they want to exploit right now because there's a clear lack of depth in terms of bodies for the Bengals defensive line right now. And that's really the strength of the entire Browns roster is just the, the interior trio that they have up front. So it'll be interesting to see how they utilize Reader and Covington. Now that they are the, the lone two starters that they have. Um, I don't expect them to, to go into a lot of three, four sets with, with three defensive tackles, just because they just don't have a lot of depth there. Even if the Browns are going to try to run heavy on them, I think they're, they're just going to live and die by, by the even front, which is, okay and it's not going to matter that much but yeah i mean atkins and daniels not being there it's going to hurt the pass rush and you know i I think it was it was unlikely at best that atkins was even going to play on on such a short week i think the eagles game was always going to be the realistic return for him but it's up to the edge rushers to to generate pressure against these tackles like this is jedrick wells's uh second uh career start if he actually plays uh i think jack conklin's questionable too and along along with chris hubbard so God, God only knows who the tackles are going to be. This is the prime <laughs> opportunity for the, Carlos Dunlap, Sam Hubbard, and Carl Lawson to get home and pressure Baker Mayfield, who, again, is, is still seeing ghosts in clean pockets. So just imagine what, what he'll do against actual pressure off, off the edge. Big evenings for, in terms of being under the microscope, I'm not predicting big evenings for them per se, but big evenings for Carl Lawson. He had a couple of pressures and I believe a sack last week. Um, you know, Covington was in there. He was active when Reader went out, Reader went out um, made a couple of plays. But like we said, the noticeable difference when Reader was not in that defense was was obvious. Um, so Reader needs to, to remain in there and the Bengals need to find a way to generate more consistent pressure, whether that is Sam Hubbard playing better, um, you know, mixing in. They, uh, Khalid Kareem had a couple of, uh, of snaps in there yes, uh, last week. We'll see what happens with him this week. Andrew Brown will now be in the mix um, f- because of the injuries to Atkins and Daniels in the interior. So, you know, uh, they're going to have to kind of mix things up and, and put things together. But like you said, if you look at the Browns, I don't – I would venture a guess that the six questionable players that they have, they have four that are out, um, Johnson, the cornerback, uh, Phillips, the linebacker, uh, you mentioned um, – Williams, another greedy Williams, the cornerback out, and then Mac Wilson, the linebacker, he is out. But those six questionable guys: Conklin, uh, the tackle; Hubbard, the tackle; uh, Treader, the center; Jarvis Landry, the wide receiver; Olivier Vernon, questionable. I mean, these are big names in here, and then Jedrick Wills um, is is on there. So, I mean, I would venture to guess probably conservatively half of those questionables will play, but. 
it seems that the Browns are in pretty bad shape on the injury front as well. Yeah. And like that, like they already have a weak secondary, even with guys healthy. So like if, if that offense line isn't ready to go, like I, it has to be assumed that they want to just, just pound Nick Chubb this game because they know the Bengals are weak up front and they, they probably believe that's the best chance of, of their offense actually succeeding early in the game and taking some perceived pressure off of Mayfield. If they have guys injured though, and in re- and even when you start like DJ Reader is still a quality run defender. He had like like a, a quality run defense grade against the Chargers. He made some good plays at run defense. If he's out there, like it's still going to be a tall task, even with their starters out there. So it, it's it's up to the other guys. It's up to the linebackers to crack down and stay in their fits and to at least limit Chubb because I I think. Like Chubb still had like a ton of yards after contact against the Ravens. He's the king of yards after contact. So it, it, it's it's up to just if not bring him down, at, at least slow him down a little bit so other guys can kind of corral him. So that that's going to be the the clear obvious plan for them, especially on such a short week. They don't want to put a lot on Mayfield after the game he just had. But if they don't have the, the bodies up front to do it, it could, it could be a long day for them. Could for a game touted for two number one overall draft picks quarterbacks over the past couple of years it could be a lot of the game could be a lot about the running backs on both both teams uh, like you mentioned john so um interesting kind of kind of twist there some we're running up against we're going a little long here Uh, i don't know if you want to make any bold predictions or uh predictions about the game i'd love to hear that and or some of your players to watch this week as the Bengals battle the browns on a short week I've said it before, and I'll say it again. This secondary for, for the Browns is just straight up awful. Like, a- Anderson Deo is at least three years past his prime. Terrence Mitchell is starting for some reason. Denzel Ward, again, is decent, but he can't do it all by himself. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. I have a friend, I have a good friend who's a, who's a big Browns fan, and he asked me to look up Tavir Thomas's PFF grade. I'm like, who the hell is Tavir Thomas? He's a three-year player that mostly played special teams for his first two years. He's starting at slot cornerback. You know this pass rating that he allowed against the Ravens? 158.3. It's a perfect passer rating. Like, if Tyler Boyd doesn't go off for at least 80 yards this game, something severely went wrong. Like, Boyd didn't have a target for the first, I think, 40 minutes of, of Sunday's game. But the, but the four targets that he did have in the final 20, three of them went for first downs. He was one of the more, was one of the more impactful receiving options for that offense and he had two crucial third down conversions in the fourth quarter on on that last drive so he has a clear mismatch against the secondary Tavir Thomas who again I don't even know if it's real NFL player if he doesn't go off for at least 75 80 receiving yards they did a horrible job game planning for this game so we got to make these things wild like we got to make these predictions interesting or else no one's really going to listen to him and I hope I'm you know if I'm 0-16 by the end of it it was worth it in my opinion so Tyler Boyd 85 yards I'm calling it Tyler Boyd 85 yards okay I will I will call a a coming out party for T Higgins. Um, I I think that yes they had a couple they had some snaps when we when I referenced Auden Tate and T Higgins they had some snaps. Joe Burrow didn't really look their way like you mentioned the Tyler Boyd not looking his way until the second half was I, I didn't understand that one. Uh, that guy's Mister Clutch. As, especially when it comes to moving the sticks, extending drives. So um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go bold and say T Higgins with a, a coming out party. What that looks like, I don't know, but I think he gets in the end zone. I think the Bengals are gonna score obviously more points this week. Hard to score less. Um, so I think that uh, T Higgins will have a coming out party of of sorts. Get into the end zone um, 
And I think I think that group in general is one I'm I'm really interested in watching this week. You know, AJ Green led the team with five catches for 51 yards. You look at that and you go, what a pedestrian stat line. But we talked about the missed throw that would have been a touch, you know, probably I don't remember where the ball was right offhand, but a 30-yard touchdown or so. Uh, then, of course, the game-winning touchdown that was called back. All of a sudden, his stat line could have been huge. Um, so, and, and I thought he looked pretty well. I thought he, I thought he played pretty well in the game. You know, he's making some tough catches across the middle and, and helping out his quarterback. So, you know, wasn't it an outstanding game by AJ Green? Some of it was on him. Some of it was not. Some of it was him actually making plays. So he's interesting to me for your reasons that you laid out. Tyler Boyd is interesting to me. Mike Thomas made a couple, you know, couple plays last week. I'm interested to see if the rapport continues on there, but I'm really interested to see if Auden Tate, T. Higgins get more snaps and or more targets this week because I think, like you mentioned, that battered Cleveland secondary, they're going to try and feast on that. Even though they want to establish the run, the Bengals, that is, I think that they want to also spread the ball around and, and really feast on that battered secondary. T. Higgins, Mike Thomas, Alex Harrison, C.J. Zoma, Drew Sample, I don't care. Put him in the slot. Tavir yeah. Thomas, expose him! Yep, yep. And uh, yeah, I, my bold prediction last week that 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 didn't work out. We we don't need to revisit that. That didn't really work out so well for me. Do you have a score prediction, John? Oh, uh, I know I you're. I the, know you're not a fan of those per se, but uh, I, I yeah. think the I think the spread it was five and a half one place. It was like eight and a half in another place. Yeah. Like, well, I think it's a good one for the Bengals to cover this week, like they did last week. I know a lot of people care about the actual betting spread about it, but you know, screw it. Like 23, 20 Bengals. The spread last week, what was it? Two and a half, three points, three and a half, I think. Yeah. And of course they lose by three. So Vegas, Vegas kind of knows what they're doing sometimes. Right. Um, the, you know, I, I keep saying, I keep telling myself Bengals are going to win this one. They're going to write the ship coming out party for Joe Burrow. And like I mentioned, T Higgins, et cetera. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I still, I go back to the primetime stuff. I, like I said, I'm, I'm an old dog here and uh, the cynic in me is hard to, hard to drive out. What I saw last week was just a lot of old demons coming up here. I don't know if that it's good to get it out week one. If they, if it's going to happen, get it out week one and get it going the rest of the, get, get things right. The rest of the season. Um, I, I will, I will say, Oh boy, do I want to pick him this week? I don't know if I want to pick him this week. I'll say 20, 26, 21 Cleveland. And I'm not very confident about that, but uh, I could see it 26. going. 26. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. I'm going weird score. I'm going weird score. 26, 21 Cleveland. Um, is it game for Cody Parkey? It is a game for Cody Parkey. Yeah. <laughs> what, would that, what would that equate to? I'm, I'm not a math guy. That's like, Four, three, four field goals for him or something. And you can score Gami on the phone. <laughs> anyway, uh, those are our predictions and our breakdown of the game. Don't hold us to it. Anything else before we get on out of here, John? We went a little long, but uh, it's been a really good show. We got got a lot to. Uh, we got through a lot this week. Um, it was a really good show. Would you do that Zoom format again with like a hundred other people interviewing those guys? You know, it actually only was like fifteen to eighteen people. Uh, it really wasn't that many, but it, it was a deal where, you know, you gotta, you gotta click, raise your hand and be on mute and you wait. And I mean, it's, it's cool, but it was, uh, I, yeah, I would do it again. 
I would do it again because it was it was very interesting and like it, there was you know Peter King was in the room and Doug Farrer from USA Today was in there you know these guys that we've been reading for years and years and years um, were in this interview so that was kind of neat but um, you know the Zoom I, I'm not a fan of the Zoom thing I, 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 it's helped me with this show sharing my screen and all that stuff but um, I don't know. I wish I could have joined you. Long story short, I could not because I had a, a scheduled uh, uh, appointment to fix my car, and it was a it was a small small business body shop uh, near Voice of America in, in Westchester. And it's, and he, he noticed that I, ha- I have a Bengals like debit card that I got like a couple years ago, and I haven't really replaced it. He noticed it, and he said, "Oh, you're you're a Bengals fan." And I'm like, I didn't really want to get into it. He said, "Yeah, yeah, I took care of a, a guy back in the '80s. Uh, he was the place kicker." I was like, uh, "You took care of Jim Breach?" He's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." He, he brought in his son's car. It was a piece of crap, and I basically told him it was the worst car I've ever seen. Never saw him again. That's funny. And and his son now works at CBS Sports, right? Isn't that isn't it John, his son? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a funny story. That, that, yeah, I would never think. To hear that one, that's a good one. That's it. Did you get your car fixed up? Yeah, it did, did good. And you, you know, he did, didn't screw me out of his appraisal, so that was good. That's good. And he didn't, he didn't bash the condition of your car the way he did to John Breach's car. No, he did not. He did not, not have an agenda. <laughs> well, thanks, John. And thanks to all of our live listeners. Again, get this show wherever you get your audio podcasts or on all the major platforms. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. There is a logo right under John's left shoulder there. Rambles over his right, but the the subscribe button's down below his left shoulder. So click that. Join us on Cincy Jungle's Facebook. And those last two platforms are where we will be doing our pregame show. Come hang out with us. Do your tailgate. However you're doing it in this pandemic era, come join us. Hang out with us. We've got giveaways. We've got special guests. And we're going to have some fun. We look forward to seeing you an hour before kickoff. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Thanks for your support, John. I'll see you tomorrow, my friend. Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini-series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI, with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com.